Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. And there's always that fight for supremacy to be the favorite child when we know that the company is. And so in some ways it's a deal with the devil where if you can be the head of the company, then you get to be the favorite child because you will become the company. <laughs> I mean, that's so sickening. You will become the kingdom. This is Roger Bennett on HBO's Succession podcast, a show which is part of the Volta content farm. My guest today is one of the most complex characters currently on television, Siobhan Chivroy, grounded, astute, acerbic, clandestine, entitled, lover of non-monogamous relationships, unbridled power and backless turtlenecks, fittingly for a character named after a weapon she can savage. Her brothers, her husband, anyone threatening her family, she is, as she puts it herself, the good cop to her father Logan's misogynistic cop. The lone woman swimming in a stagnant cesspool of toxic masculinity, one who was promised the keys to the Waystar Royco Empire, only to discover the locks have been quickly changed. As she waits for a good old-fashioned dinosaur cull. He made me a fucking offer, and I'm going to redeem that coupon. My guest, who plays Shiv, has emerged from Australia to gain international renown. No less an expert than Helen Mirren has held it as, quote, spectacular. It's a great joy to have her join me, the queen of the astonished side-eye. Welcome, Sarah Snook. <laughs> Hi. An intro, Jesus. Oh, I'm exhausted, Sarah. Thank God you're here. <laughs> Where are we finding you right now? I'm in Melbourne, in Australia. Your country of birth, about as far away from the dark arts Manhattan 0.1% skullduggery that propels succession as is humanly possible. Growing up in Adelaide Hills as the youngest of three adventure-loving sisters, the only things I know about Adelaide, A-Town, is that it's the driest city in Australia, home to 19 ship graveyards, also, the town the Murdochs got their start owning newspapers. Tell us about your world growing up in South Australia. Yeah, it's so different. I don't know if I've ever met a billionaire. Maybe I have. I don't know. They probably keep themselves a little more quiet than the Roys do. A little more classy. <laughs> I grew up next to National Park in Adelaide. For my seventh birthday, my mum and my sister did a scavenger hunt in the National Park where they put lollies to fill our party bags all throughout the national park we had to like read notes and then go okay ah the riddle is this and then ride our bikes to the pond and find the next lollies and growing up camping and out in the bush and 
carrying around and also youngest of three I mean 10 and six years older than me I kind of had to spend a lot of time by myself making my own fun and a lot of that was running around and getting grubby <laughs> your parents brought you up with the spirit of adventure right they really tried to embed that in you yeah we would go camping every long weekend we had or every holiday it wasn't five-star resorts or private jets anywhere it was three of us in the back seat in the Range Rover getting 14-hour drive to some station owned by a friend of a friend where we would go pig shooting or rabbit shooting to keep girls animal numbers down yeah it's a car crash from what the road experience you broke out as an actor in Australia around 2010 which made you Oceana famous the scene stealing roles kept coming a 2014 Ethan Hawke sci-fi film Predestination, Apple's relentless PR person in 2015 Steve Jobs. I loved your terrific role as a Stormtrooper unit leader in the Black Mirror episode Men Against Fire. You were back in Australia though when the Succession audition came around. Tell us when you heard about it, the tape you made in Australia and your confidence levels as you submitted. Confidence levels well down and also interest levels well down as a result of confidence levels. There's a way you can deceive yourself into not wanting something if you don't think you're able to get it. And I think there's something very familiar with Shub in that sense as well. Yeah, I mean, I just submitted a self-shape from Melbourne reluctantly, but got it done and was flown over to audition and really did think, I was like, well, I'm the antipathy and dark horse here. I'm not going to actually get the role. They've got someone in mind that they want and they want to use me as leverage to counter argument whatever their agents asking for that much preferred other actress awesome I get a trip to LA for the weekend I'll get to see my friends get in get out I met Jeremy during that process we did audition together which was wild Jeremy Strong yeah and he totally owned the room he knew what he was doing there I just didn't know what I was doing at all so <laughs> sort of like keep your mouth shut keep sort of watching and move on through and then got back to Australia and went on a holiday for once. Very rarely had taken a holiday at that point. My boyfriend at the time and I went on a road trip around New Zealand, which was great. And then got a call from Jesse and Adam saying they needed to have a meeting. I'm like, well, I'm busy. I'm so sorry. I'm busy. <laughs> We're just like unconsciously playing out foundational parts of Shiv. They must have been delighted when they put the phone down on you and you were like, sorry, I'm busy. <laughs> We do it on my time. They must have looked at each other and been like, we got the right yeah, person for right. the role. Because usually as an actor, you're like, jump, how high is the answer? And so when they asked if they could have a meeting, I was like, well, yeah, of course, but I need to have it scheduled into my time. I mean, they may not even realise that because it's such a small, basic, regular thing you do in business conversation. Are you available? No, let's find a better time. Yes, okay. Like, that is a conversation that should happen. But as an actor, you end up going yes and nodding every time that you are asked to do something. And this is the first time I was putting my hand up saying, no, 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 we'll discuss as a conversation first together. Were you intentionally channeling Shiv, Sarah? No, God, no. I did the audition was so not this character that I'm so not going to get her. So that even when I was offered the role and my agents were like, we think you should say no because we'd think there's a better deal we could make. Are you happy for this to go away? I was like, yeah, that's okay. I, mean, I don't know if I'm really meant to do the role anyway. So yeah, I would say no. So we'll say no first. And then they came back and like, oh, thank God. I want to do this now. Did you just think it was so far-fetched that you, this Australian Adelaide girl yeah. from the wilderness part, feral cat-chasing human being, were so far <laughs> away from the Chivroy character that you didn't take it that seriously even when the role was offered to you? Confidence plays a role in that, where if you don't think you have the confidence to do something or you don't think you are deserving of something, you will put things that stop you in the way to achieving that goal. When you want something so much, 
and this certainly comes out in season two, I think, for sure, that when you do want something so much, you are wary of it being given to you in a very seemingly otherwise easy way. So for me, I was like, I'd love to do TV, but I'd only like to do TV on HBO in that long running way because I could trust their quality and I can trust their interest and the challenge will keep me satisfied as an artist and as an actor. I know that's the top. And so I'd wanted that. Being offered that is like, well, obviously that's not going to happen because I've, I haven't done anything to deserve it. Just the universe giving me what I want. Dad, I don't trust that. That's life imitates art, imitates life because yeah. the character of Shiv is a mix of strength and vulnerability, confidence and wit. When we first meet her, she's a quasi-outsider. Her profession as a political consultant to a kind of Bernie bro populist, God bless you, Senator Gil Evis, is an act of rebellion against her father's right-wing propaganda peddling empire. You've said, at first you were a bit intimidated by Shiv Roy. Why was that? Again, it comes back to confidence because she seems to know who she is and is not ashamed or embarrassed by that fact. But I think that's very much a defense. It's very much that everybody else knows who she is. Everybody else knows her last name and knows what sort of trappings come with that. She may not know who she is in amongst that, but can very easily play the role of a Roy. And also there's a very easy conscious slipping into a character for Shiv that is, Kendall is this particular way. Roman is sort of the clown. Connor is, you know, the hippie in the desert somewhat. Then the role that Shiv can play, that other people go like, well, she's the daughter, but she's the smartest. And she can just keep her mouth shut and have other people think that that's the truth where it may not be the case at all. It's very slippery, wily cunning that is say less and have other people think what they want to. And I mean, look, I did that in my own life where people thought that I lived in LA and so was like trying to make it as an actor in LA. I never lived in LA, but it didn't say that I didn't. <laughs> you know, people are going to make their own decision about and have their own opinions about you. Unless you correct them, then... There's a lot of power in keeping silence. Ellipsis is an incredible superpower. And on the surface, Shiv is smart. She does seem to know what to do. And I love what you've said about how playing Shiv has made you think about your own identity. You said to just be allowed to feel like you have a right to be somewhere. That's the power that you took from playing her in the first couple of episodes. So the first five episodes of season one, I was like, fraud, fraud, fraud. They're going to find out soon. <laughs> really got to a point where I was like, well, it's too expensive now to reshoot and recast. So either suck it up, Sarah, and do your freaking job or sit around and mope and have this great big pity party. 97% of our listeners will be nodding along. They, everyone has <laughs> felt that way yeah, in mean, their lifetime. Oh, who doesn't love a good pity party? But yeah. another obvious challenge that you had, the accent, an American accent, you've admitted you had self-doubt about improvising, which is the succession way in American billionaires. And I've got to say, I empathize. I've been in this country for about a million years. I'm now American, but my American accent remains bloody awful. What is the secret to unlocking an incredible American accent, which you have. I worked with an amazing voice coach, Jerome Butler, who gave me two or three things that for me needed to work with how my mouth movement was, particularly like the middle of my tongue. For me, in the way that I say things, like leaning too much on the R and not using the middle of my tongue to do it, that for me was like, okay, I can lean on that as a little key to unlock the accent or basically getting out of the way of myself. So a lot of the improvisation stuff that, we would do, I kind of easier to remain in an accent 
off scene. So once the scene was done, remained somewhat in the accent, but also in my Australian accent. So doing a strange hybrid where I wasn't trying to be American, but also not trying to be Australian. So sitting right in the middle helped go from otherwise really far Australian and going, this is me, this is Sarah. And now I do the scene and then do my American accent, which I won't do now right now because I will fail. <laughs> and this is really the shiv trying to bridge the gap between those two and make the area a lot more gray that I sat in. God, I'm in awe of you, Sarah, <laughs> I really am. There's Kieran Culkin just unfiltered, just improvising like a madman on set. And you're focusing on where your tongue's coming out for your R's. And Shiv has been through an incredible evolution over the course of the two seasons. We'll dive into that in a moment. But first, I've got to ask you how that transformation has been lived out by the wardrobe department, which has been analysed a ton. Shiv went from the soft feminine look, long wavy Botticelli hair of season one, to seasons two armour of grey pantsuit, turtlenecks, and I am the boss blown out Bob. Madeline Aguilar wrote in New York magazine, and I love this, she said Shiv's pants are more thoughtful, capable and sexually well adjusted than any of Logan Roy's children. These are pants that could single-handedly orchestrate a hostile company takeover or convince you of the merits of a media monopoly. How much of a hand do you have in your wardrobe choices, Sarah? That is an amazing quote. I love that a costume that I get to wear as a character, their pants are sort of a greater candidate for the family takeover than any of the actual characters in the show. I had a hand in terms of it being a conversation for sure. We certainly based the second season look on strong female silhouettes that didn't deny a femininity, but there's a practicality in that. And I think for me, in terms of my own shape, I have hips and I have a butt and I have those kinds of things. In the past, maybe I would have shied away from and been sort of embarrassed about or like less confident about. And instead, it's about Shiv in the second season and really embracing who she is. So part of that is in a figure embracing who I am in that sense and leaning into the Catherine Hepburn tailoring and something that about Shiv that is not brash and brashy, but is in her core personality. There's something that is there, but in the way that she presents, there's a lot more control and a lot more consciousness about tone and colors that she uses and the tailoring and she'd be very smart about how she picks her fashion. She'd have a stylist, like billionaires would have a stylist. They'd have someone going out and shopping for them knowing what they want and bring it home. I think, to be honest, she probably doesn't really care what she wears as long as she looks the part, as long as she doesn't fit in. For me, personally, I would hate to arrive at an event and be the most overdressed there. I'd much rather rock up and be like, oh, I didn't get the memo. Sorry, I'm wearing my old boots. I'm much more comfortable schlepping in like that rather than pottering in on heel. There's an element of that to Shiv as well that would come in with brogues or with loafers or something that is like, oh, I'm so sorry I didn't get the memo that this was more glamorous, but did you know this outfit cost whatever it was, <laughs> like $10,000 or something obscene? When you're a Roy, you can do that. And Shiv is a boss, but she's a damaged boss. Season one. We find her not freeloading, and this makes her unique. She initially works outside the family in politics. And it's always fascinating when someone who has all that wealth still tries to work. And is that Shiv's central tension that she wants out, but gets sucked back in, crucially, before she fully self-actualizes? And blood, family, ambition, power is too addictive for her, ultimately. Is that the toggling between the inside and the outside that defines her? 
yeah, definitely. I think there's something in Shiv that is very similar to her father. And part of that is the volatility. Because Logan Roy is the controller and he's the patriarch and he's at the top. But I think he got there in some ways because of the volatility that was beneficial to him and being male and being in that world of media, fast paced, stopping and changing and sticking to something and then changing and not ever being necessarily somebody you could rely on, but you could rely on to be cunning. I think Shiv is somebody who is quite like that. And so that's where they get into their loggerheads and they get to lock horns with that, where they want the other to be more reliable, more stable, but they're out each other's mirror in a sense. And I think for Shiv, she would love to be in the family business, but will only be in the family business on her own terms. And Logan would love her to be in the family business, but only on his terms. And in the end, it's going to be in direct conflict. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Could you make them all sound, the Roy family, just like volatile chemical compounds in their own right, which when mixed together is just explosive? Because that family dynamic is the core of the show. And the family dynamic is a conflict dynamic. Season one, Shiv is detached at the outset, an observer, a Roy observer, almost a sports commentator on all that surrounds her. But season two, she's been sucked back into the eye of the Roy Storm. And we see, for all of her tough exterior and sharp tongue, that Shiv is broken inside. There are incredible Shiv Roy demons. Yeah, I think you can't really grow up in a family like that without coming out <laughs> an enormous amount of complexity and demons that will haunt you in different ways. And I think a family that is built from a self-made billionaire that's the central foundational pole that all the rest of the children have to live up to. They have to have their own self-made quality about them. And I think that's why she went to try and do that in politics, to do it on her own terms outside of the family business. There's no way of going through that family and growing up in that family and coming out unscathed. When we met Lady Carolyn and we met Harriet Walter as <laughs> our mother, that was just like, oh, of course. Oh, my goodness, of course. That is the piece of the puzzle that has been missing all this time that just makes sense. Of course, of course she's the mother. Of course we all have this acerbic tongue and this great wit. But there's also the level of unreality and that it is a show that is written and they are oftentimes exceedingly funny. Is that real in real life that people are that funny and that smart and that witty all the time? But there's a heightened quality to that. But in this, I do actually think it works when you get two parents like Brian Cox and Harriet Walter and the characters that they're in play because you go, yeah, actually, and if that's the way that that family relates to each other, that they deal in barbs and shivs and assault and witticisms, then yeah, that makes sense that they're assholes to each other. 
and that it is a competition constantly. When you shoot those scenes with your mother, Sarah, were they melancholy for you as a human being or were they just another scene? Because they really, as you say, they were the missing piece. Watching them, it felt like the air was sucked out of your lungs. Was it just another day at the office for you or was there a heaviness involved? I mean, I feel like every day at this office is not just another day at the office. It's a really fun office to be at and it never felt pedestrian in any sense. But the scenes with Harriet, I think the ones that have affected me more have been the one of open vulnerability with Logan. Perhaps due to the nature of doing more scenes together regularly, more frequently. But the scenes with Harriet, it's less two snails not quite knowing how to interact with each other and two sort of stones just looking at each other, wishing wishing they could understand that there's a sadness there and maybe there's a vulnerability, but there's almost like a decision made of this will never work and this will never happen. And so that's where the sadness comes from, not a yearning or desire to create something more where the explosiveness and conflict comes in the scenes with her father. You've been asked what your favourite scenes are. And you talk about how much you love it when all four Roy siblings are placed together, like the family therapy scenes in New Mexico, scenes where the kids inevitably tear each other to shreds, they eviscerate each other. And for budget reasons, TV's normally shot with two or three characters max in a scene. Succession revels in the ensembles with a slew of cameras charging round, capturing a ton of coverage, which means as an actor, you've got to be on even if you have no lines. Does that feel like making theatre more than television? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up doing theatre and so that feels more like a home ground to me. And I love it. It makes you feel like you have to be Olympic level all the time. And so you have to be thinking and you have to be creating and imagining and having an opinion on everything. And I think there are days where I've been on set and been an extra, essentially. It's like a high-paid extra sitting in the background not doing anything. But there's all reason that they could swing the camera and, and rack focus and so sit there and enjoy doing it. And I find that so nourishing, really, because you're acting, because you're there to do a job and you're thinking about it in the moment and creating in the moment and it's being respected. That's the part that's different. I'm sure you can do that on many other shows, but if your contribution isn't being respected, then eventually you'll tire of it. Whereas in this, I find that our contribution, no matter how small, is always being respected. And so it feels like a checkoff, really. Like it feels like you're doing a scene in Uncle Vanya where perhaps you sat on the stage for the entire act and you didn't say anything, but everybody's looking to you to make sure that they understand what's really going on in the scene. You've said that when the four siblings are together, it's when the show makes most sense to you, that you really get to understand who they are with each other because what they've been through makes sense in those moments. And I love reading that, that it feels so real for you to be with the three other actors. You feel that Roy transcendence, that blood is thicker than water, even when it's fictional. Yeah, definitely. And there's something that makes sense about how they all fit together. There's the different elements that they've learned to bring out in themselves in order to survive in this cutthroat family. Shiv has learned to be a little more of an observer, be a little more silent. That's what she's learned to survive in the family, whereas Kieran... With Roman, I mean, and Kieran's natural talent is just like this unfiltered genius that he's able to, as Roman, lean on that as the thing that's been able to make him survive in this family. You know, each of us have these contributing elements that when they come together, really do feel like the whole. Let's dive into those family dynamics straight off the top. Can we clear up one thing? Shiv is by far the most qualified of her father's four heirs, right? I mean, you're asking me, so obviously I'm going to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say yeah, but also 
Kendall's very correct when he says like she's not run a company before. Like she would be stepping in. It's a huge amount of nepotism and people would know that she would be good, but she should do a lot of training beforehand. It's not like she can just step into the CEOship of a massive company with no prior experience to running a company. But I think she would be very good at it. <laughs> She'd get it done. So does Logan believe that? Or is he only interested in Shiv because she's the one kid playing hard to get, working away from the family, the uncatchable fish, and he wants to bait her onto his hook with a silent vow to make her his heir, a vow crucially that she can never or she should never tell anyone about? I think both are probably true, to be honest. I think he probably does think that she's the most appropriate candidate in personality-wise, but also perhaps in doing that, there's the inherent threat that she could be better than him at the job. And that's too dangerous as well. In life, we do things without being honest with ourselves about what our true purpose is and our true desire of what we want out of this, our objective. Things are not necessarily binary in that sense of like, I do this because I want that. It's I do this because I think I want that, but I also want this as well and that and that. And this comes as a result of that. We're constantly flexible and changing and there's the volatility again of Shiv and of Logan you say one thing and it might mean that for that moment but it won't mean that forever yeah I mean Shiv clearly wants it badly too if not the job then Logan's approval she ignores all the red flags the secrecy the lack of a timeline an announcement yeah whatever I'll float she says trying to project a calm she doesn't feel as she arrives at Waystar Royco's executive offices and realises there's really no place to sit. But you could argue the floating refers to herself because by accepting the offer, she's lost her sense of self and any moral compass she had is now smashed. I wouldn't even say a moral compass, but a tether to who she is as an identity, where she's separate from the family and she's always maintained that as an identity as separate. I don't know who Shiv's friends are. I think she probably does have them because most people have friends. But who are they? <laughs> um, where are they? And there's this constant magnetism back toward the family that she both is addicted to and reviles. And then been thrown into that position of being a part of the family in a more meaningful way in terms of the business is undeniably attractive. But as soon as it's not going in the way that she wants, it's very difficult to unpick herself from that and maintain an identity that she's proud of. Because she's at the whim of her father and that's the thing that she wanted to get away from the most. Yeah. And by the way, can I just say, Shiv's Friends is an incredible spin-off, which somebody has to make happen sooner rather than later. Who tolerates her? Yeah. <laughs> Who Yeah, you're right, because before we know it, Shiv is menacingly persuading a victim of sexual harassment and abuse in Waystar Royco's cruises division not to testify before Congress about her suffering an act. She seems to hate, not because she's going against her values, but because the task at hand is, quote, soft skills, lady duty, ship work. You told the journalist that Shiv's ascendancy triggered internal fears for you as an actor, admitting that it intimidated the hell out of you because if I bomb, you said, the script writers might say, we're going to change the story, dial Shiv back because you suck, Sarah. It's amazing to me. Your performance is so terrifyingly remarkable, but inside you still felt those fears. Oh, absolutely. And in some ways, I desperately hope those fears go away and at the same time, don't. Because there's an engine in that that is definitely part of me as a person, which is not unique. I'm sure everybody considers themselves a fraud in different ways. Welcome to my life. You know, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
everyone's got imposter syndrome. I think it's an interesting thing for students to have because it is a very common female thing to have in business particularly, where they feel that they have to be more masculine or be more male, be more a certain way that is not necessarily inherent to who they are. And in doing that, constantly reinforces this imposter syndrome, which is not part of their identity, which is not who they want to be or what they want to be and how, but the system around them forces them into a particular kind of mode. That's great for Shiv because that's what she feels, except that she's protected from this last feeling thing by her money. And then all of that energy then gets transferred into her feeling with the family, that she's got this imposter syndrome there, which is having to be a certain way, but not able to ever prove or do it. It's morass. I love it. <laughs> and it culminates in one of my favourite lines of season two. Oh, for fuck's sake, Dad, just tell them it's going to be me. One of the things I love most about Shiv, for all of her savviness and strategy and polish, she's also impulsive and hot-headed. You were once asked if Shiv is Logan's favourite to be heir, and you said, I think the company is his favourite child in the end. And I think we all grew up knowing that. And there's always that fight for supremacy to be the favourite child when we know that the company is. And so in some ways it's a deal with the devil where if you can be the head of the company, then you get to be the favourite child because you will become the company. <laughs> I mean, that's so sickening. You will become the kingdom. <laughs> One of your most tender human succession scenes, the hug with your brother Kendall, late night in Logan's office. He's holding a box of pills. He's been spiralling. I think it's one of the first moments of human connection that he's had in that season. Shiv, it's not going to be me. All right. You want to tell me why? Come here. Give me a hug. Come here. A hug? The hug you give him, let's just say, you have a black belt in face work. Five seconds, the camera lingers on your face. And I counted at least seven different emotions from what are we doing this to realization of a darkness enveloping Kendall to a crushing wave of human empathy bordering on love. I mean, one of the things I remember was that I had two friends come and visit me on set that day. My housemate and her brother. So, oh, this will be really fun. He loves the shows. Watched the first season twice. What a treat. And so he came in that day. And I'd really been hoping that it would be something that was fun and snappy and like, ba ba da ba da ba da Here's a little quip and here's a funny joke. Oh and then through <laughs> the scene, I was like, oh, my God. This is so boring for him. And something about the way that Jeremy was just so crushed as Kendall and so in need of a hug from anybody. It's sort of not hard to act then when you've given such a bell to sound off. Of. You just have to listen, really, and react to what you're given. I love that idea of bringing your friends to set so that they can take a moment to glimpse into the darkness of the abyss that is Kendall Roy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it doesn't happen often. And it was just a really bad timing of when it did. Yes. Oh. Uh, like the Nadir and they're like peeking through the curtain. You're like, oh, whoa, 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 sorry. Oh, close. Hang on. Let me just give him a hug. Come and glimpse the end of times. It's time to talk Tom. Wallow in some Wom's gams. One of the eternal mysteries of Shiv that you are forever having to explain is... Why is Shiv with Tom when she could and does have a number of suitors? Yes, Tom, totally smitten, totally beta, utterly controllable, like a human comfort blanket. But succession always hints at the notion Shiv has had a meltdown in her past, which was 
probably when she met Tom and his square safeness offered a modicum of stability. It makes sense to me that they are together. It makes sense to me that all the things that we've done together are real and are based on a foundation of love, even if that is transactional. But what is the reason why she's with him? It occurred to me that there had to be something that was more of a schism in her life and her life was going one way, something major happened and she as a person's reaction to trauma or to conflict is to double down and control and tighten. I hesitate to say what it is in the past because I quite like that Jesse and the writing team invent. They reserve the right to change their mind. Something could be one way, but if it's not in the edit, then it gets to be changed into something else. So I know what it is for me, <laughs> sure. But I'm also willing for that to change. If Jesse says, well, what if, I, if it was this? I'm like, oh, great, great idea. That doesn't change my performance now or for the future. It just gives it a different color and a different depth. I picture at least as well, there's a familial sense of addiction. There's a familial mirroring, I guess. In the way that she's similar to Logan, she's probably very similar to Kendall. And so I'd love to see Shiv out of control. And I think there's probably been a time where she has been out of control and then really doubled down to knit that back up. And Tom probably was a part of that. Out of darkness cometh light. And that light is Tom. Thank God he's in this series because he's like a human version of one of those dog breeds you mate with a poodle like a Tom Doodle. And Shiv, way up the food chain, an apex predator. So in the midst of the epic three-day nuptials, she tells him she's been having an affair and that it likely won't be a last. I just think I'm just... I'm just not sure I'm a good fit for a monogamous marriage. Right. Sarah, Shiv has come of age with a terrible blueprint of what relationships are about. So this should come as no surprise, right? It's that last moment before final commitment. Where this is what she's been driving for. She's been driving for the stable boyfriend, the husband, the house, the career, all of those things. She's a box ticker <laughs> down the list of children at some point, And I think that would be hilarious to watch Shiv try and navigate parenthood. I mean, what a minefield. <laughs> But this is that last moment of going, well, fuck, I'm signing on to a life of commitment that I have no blueprint for in my own life. And the only blueprint I do have is infidelity. And I've been doing that whether subconsciously on purpose or not. And in some ways, it's a miraculous communion there. She's being honest. She could not tell him. She could not say anything at all. But instead, she decides to. And part of that, I think, is testing the boundary of how much punishment will you take how much can i be vulnerable in front of you not in service of bringing us closer together she's sort of like this is me and you have to accept it and part of that is somebody who's not very confident in who they are if you're comfortable being vulnerable you're flexible and you're like the willow that bends in the wind you're not the oak tree that stands and is very stubborn so saying that this is me and this is who i am it's antithetical to vulnerability and also the transference of pain that can make you aware that you're alive which all culminates in the beach scene, the family have had a bruising Lord of the Flies calibre discussion about who should be the blood sacrifice to save the company. Tom's name is floated by Roman. And instead of defending her husband, Shiv throws him under the bus while explaining, Tom, I'm not attacking you. I'm defending you. Shiv and Tom then take a bow rider out to a secluded romantic Croatian beach cove, sitting together, sprawled out. On a picnic blanket, Tom sitting cross-legged next to us, slouching dejectedly, staring off into the Adriatic. Oh, Tom, 
usually sycophantic, a shadow of himself, bereft and vulnerable, finally blurts out the truth from the bottom of his sliced and diced, humiliated, vulnerable heart. I love you, I do. I just, uh, I wonder if... I wonder if the sad I'd be without you would be less than the sad I get from being with you. Sarah, how do you feel after filming that kind of scene? When that breaks, do you feel the pain? Do you, Sarah, not Shiv, but Sarah, feel sorrow for Tom? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I truly love the way we shoot in that there is openness to invention. The scene ends just there, and then there's the impetus to walk away. That line, the sad I'd be without you, is... That wasn't there. And without that line, Shiv kind of wins the scene, which we spoke about. Like, I think he is let off the hook in a way. Jesse, he's so brilliant, simply brilliant. Where he just went, okay, so it's sort of like the sad I'd be without you is the sad I'd be with you. Something like that. Like, yeah, that's genius. That line just suggests that offering up as a blood sacrifice is a wombsgams too far. And it's almost floating the notion of divorce, which is a moment many have suggested changes things because Shiv realises she may need Tom as much as Tom needs her. And also that she's the queen of the gaslight, really. She can say one thing and say, I'm protecting you. But really what her actions speak of is that she's protecting herself. But if she says that she's protecting you, woe betide the person who challenges her on that. She's, she's gaslighting all over the place. By the end of the season, Shiv has a fraying marriage, love on the rocks. She's gone to Logan suggested Kendall be the blood sacrifice behind his back, which will probably sever her relationship with her brother. Her last words of the season are watching Ken take the stage. She mutters, poor bastard, under her breath. There's a family war brewing, and the side she seems to be on, Logan's, means she may not end up being the successor. Shiv, who is such a boss, such a shrewd operator, is she in a place now where even she doesn't know what the right next chess move is to make? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what is the right chess move? Kendall has come out with a blow that really separates the family, where you're either on Logan's side or you're on Kendall's side. And she's already aligned herself, unfortunately, with whom she thought was the more powerful dog in this fight. Uh, and she's kind of stuck there. But maybe she's not. Maybe there's some manoeuvring that she can do. I mean, she's very wily. She'll probably get out of it somehow. But she really has burned a lot of bridges with Kendall in a lot of ways that might close a path back to him. But they're also family, so who knows? Sarah, you've said you're as big a fan of the show as anyone. So purely as a fan, with no skin in the game, who would you most like to see as heir to the Waystar throne? Uh, I don't know. I mean, obviously Shiv would be good, but who's the more? Who's the more? <laughs> Depends on what you want from the heir. I mean, do we want the whole thing to come tumbling down? Let's put Tom up the top. Let's put Greg up the top. Do we want Waystar really to be the monster that it is in society still? Maybe we do keep Logan up the top. I mean, how progressive will Kendall be? I don't know. Maybe we put Roman there just to have a little bit of fun. Are any of them really qualified to be at the top? What do we want for society? Give the people what they want, Tom and Greg. Oh, oh, we were going to keep watching anyway, but now we are glued. Sarah Snake, you are an Australian playing an American, not just any American, but an American that's living out a version of the American dream in the most powerful and often damaged, darkest ways. How has that changed? It's huge. First of all, I've never played a character for this long. My first experience with Shiv was September of 2016. It's now 2020. We've only done... 20 episodes for 20 hours of work 
on screen or in public arena. There's plenty more that's been cut, which is magic, I think, because we've got all these memories of things that otherwise never have come to the surface. It's been wild. I've never had a, a role quite like this. And roles in my life have come to me at the time that I needed to learn something from them, I think. And I've had oftentimes quite strong female characters who are somewhat masters of their own destiny and that has been great to learn and cherry pick from those kinds of characters but Shiv is a different breed altogether where she's very complex and also quite unlikable in a lot of ways but because of that there's something underneath you still want to root for you still want to get to know you still have pity for you're a thoughtful remarkable human being do you get the scripts at two o'clock in the morning from jesse and just open them and pray that Shiv's going to do something nice and likable <laughs> Is gonna be a real bitch. No, um, scripts. <laughs> I just love reading scripts. Like my favorite times are the table reads, where I get to see everybody do their thing that they do the best. See Kieran and Jeremy go at each other, and see Tom and Greg do their little bits. And those moments are a joy for me because it's the rehearsal, it's play, it's invention, and it's creativity. And that's what I got into acting for. I love that kind of dynamic between people where you can fail safely. And this is the closest, I think, to getting that rehearsal feeling on set where you can fail safely, where you can try something and go, well, sorry, let's do that again. Or try something you're like, holy shit, I didn't think that would work. And now we're on a skating rink over here and we're passing the ball between us and this is fantastic. That kind of chemistry is hard to get. It's invigorating on the session, I think. That's what you got into acting for. And thank God you did. The outcome has been remarkable. And acting is, at its heart, ultra competitive. Yet you've risen to the top, starring in a big budget Sunday night prestige water cooler conversation television. And your rise has been totally from the outside. Remarkable. From obscurity to Hollywood's top tier. You've said, such good luck shouldn't be allowed. It's so silly. <laughs> but what is the life lesson that you've learned from your climb along the way? That the act of observing something changes the thing observed. And that's something that I'm learning to deal with. Whilst I love the show and I love talking about it, I love these characters, they can take analysis and they can take conversation about them. But for me at the moment, it's about sitting in the middle of that and going, okay, I can talk about this as much as I can. But then also there's a space that you have to keep private to keep inventing and create. And I'm learning at the moment of how we will approach this when there's been much more talk about a project than I've ever been involved with before. Because, you know, everything's changed and nothing's changed at all, really. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm in my old boots right now in Melbourne, living out of a suitcase during a pandemic and talking about a show where I play a billionaire and fly around in helicopters. Nothing is real, if that's the case, right? <laughs> like, it's such a weird life. Anything can happen. I guess that's what it is. What have I learned? Anything can happen. Sarah Snoop, don't take away my ability to talk about billionaires flying around in helicopters. Because for me, and millions like me, it's the only thing that's keeping us sane right now. To you inventing and creating soon again. May you be back doing what you love, because we love watching you. To you, Sarah Snoop, courage, Godspeed. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. Nice to chat. We will be back with another episode of HBO Succession Podcast next week. Until then, here's some classic Shiv Roy. What is it that you are trying to get? Because money? Money you can have, and that's easy. Book deal, interview appearances, 
We will give you millions of dollars. And I will destroy the men who ran that dirty operation. I will kill them for what they've done. And I want you to help me. We will be the best, cleanest operation in the world because of you. If you help me do this. Would you help me? Well, it's, it sounds... Can I trust you? No. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hacks is coming back and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Agnello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max.